Hello, and welcome to our Top of Mind podcast. In this program, we will sit down with a higher education technology thought leader and discuss the innovative projects they are working on now and into the future. I'm your host, Caitlin Elkani, Vice President of Client Services and Cybersecurity Research at the Tambellini Group. I'm joined today by Kelly Walsh, the Chief Information Officer at the College of Westchester. Over the next few minutes, we are going to hear Kelly's thoughts on the relationship between instructional technology and student success. Let's get started. Welcome to the program, Kelly. Oh, hi, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I really uh, appreciate being uh, on the podcast. Well, thank you for joining us. Can you share with us how you became interested in the relationship between instructional technology and student success? Sure, absolutely. So when I joined the college back in 2008, uh, I had not been in higher ed prior to that. I've been a IT manager for all, all of my career, good three decades now. Um, but, you know, particularly in this day and age, as digital just becomes more and more, uh, you know, meaningful and impactful and uh, you know, everywhere we look, it's more important than ever that a, a CIO really understand the nature of their business and their customers and what they do. So when I came to the college, I was very interested in, in you know, what was going on with the relationship between education and technology, and not just the traditional you know, CIO kind of look at what we're doing administratively, but what, what's happening with instruction and what's happening in the classroom and how, is, how can digital technology help there? Um, also, in you know, 2008 was an interesting time as social media and blogging had become uh, you know, an increasingly important part of the whole digital world, and I was very interested in that. So that kind of led me to say, well, you know, let's combine these things. Let me start a, give a shot at blogging and use it as an opportunity to explore some of the things we were looking at at the college. So I would just go out, do a little research, share um, what I what I saw out there and ask for people's feedback and as I got better at um, you know sharing my content and putting it out there through social media and leveraging what I was learning about how to blog well uh, it really sparked a dialogue and it became a lot of fun very quickly and it was productive because I was learning things I wouldn't learn otherwise so as I you know spent the last decade going down that road and I soon started teaching at the college myself and I spent a lot of time talking with educators uh, and you know, the more time went by, the more the focus came, became for me, how can it really matter? What can we do with technology that can really help students succeed? Um, and then yeah, another fun thing is that that led to uh, other kind of spin-off activities. So I'm very involved in Flip Learning. I'm the uh, community manager for the Flip Learning Network at fliplearning.org. I write uh, regularly for University Business Magazine. Um, so it, it, it's been a very, uh, very interesting ride. Well, great. It sounds like it. What do you think are some of the ways that your exploration and all of this work you've done with technology and education has impacted your own work as a CIO at the college? Well, you know, it's, it's allowed me to learn more, to learn faster, you know, to learn from a wider group of people than I might otherwise. Um, you know, if you think back to the pre-web days, uh, it's always been important for us to connect with colleagues and learn from others, but now we can do it at a scale we just couldn't do it before. So one of the positives of social media is you can build this 
rich, wide personal learning network and connect with hundreds or thousands of people. Um, so I'm constantly seeing a stream of tips, tools, and techniques, and then I can reach out to people and have a richer dialogue about it. So it's just allowed me to get really immersed in education um, and end this relationship between education and instruction and technology um, in a way that I think would have taken a lot longer back in the in the pre-web days. Um, you know, one of the uh, just as an example of how these kinds of things come together, uh, a number of years back, it was actually 2014 when we launched this, um, just, you know, thinking from the student's perspective, seeing what was happening at that time, you know, texting had really started to gain a lot of momentum and become a very commonplace thing in 2013, 2014. And um, while it's not on the instructional side, it's more on the administrative side, I was seeing that, wow, God, it would be great if we could reach out to students this way. And occasionally, you know, somebody, uh, faculty or staff might ask me, um, you know, can we do that? Or we discovered that some of them were doing it on their own with their own phones, which was a little scary because, you know, there's no record of that kind of communication and what's happening. So mm -hmm. these ideas kind of coalesced and uh, myself and a great programmer I work with um, brainstormed and realized that we could create a texting interface that would store the information in our student information system. Um, we would be used just to allow staff to text students who had given us permission to text them. Um, and it would be driven by the security of the student information system so that staff, if they were to text students, it would be about an activity they had permission to text them about. And it was a real win. Um, in fact, we actually won this uh, People's Choice Award um, from uh, what I think they call the People's Choice Mobile uh, Technology Award or oh, Mobile great. Touch Award from um, Clickatel. And the other thing that was awesome about it was it was very low cost because we used a very affordable solution from Clickatel and we wrote the code and leveraged an API of theirs. Um, so it was a real win-win. I mean, we were able to connect now with students who just wouldn't respond to, to emails or to phone calls. So just one example of how kind of, you know, bringing together those things was uh, really worked well. Yeah, and it sounds like you saw a pretty big uptick in student engagement. Yeah, yeah, we were, you know, connecting with hundreds of students a week that we just you know, many of whom would not respond to the, you know, to a phone call or to an email. Well, and another thing you've mentioned that you do is, is teaching. So when you started teaching, how did your work on understanding the relationship between instructional technology and student success influence how you taught? Uh, well, um, you know, it, it had a big influence, and, and not just on how I taught, but what I saw and thought from my role as a CIO. Um, I, I joke that, you know, my, my staff probably wasn't too thrilled with this because now suddenly I was wearing this hat and having this perspective that I didn't before, thinking about opportunities in the classroom to, to do things better, to make sure things were working well. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I wouldn't have really had that perspective so much, even though we try hard to, you know, connect with faculty and pull out of them what their needs are. Um, a lot of times they're just too busy or, or for whatever reasons, not really thinking about going to us and saying, how about this? How about that? Um, so, so, you know, that was a lot of fun and that had a, uh, a big impact on my thinking and just paying attention to making the technology in the classroom work well and thinking about doing things that, um, that maybe we weren't doing yet. Um, and, and then, you know, thinking about the, 
the students and connection and you know particularly in this day and age everything's mobile right we're all going uh, making sure all our applications are, are mobile friendly or um if not mobile only um and we have a uh, one thing that would strike me is that our adjunct faculty, um, it's challenging for them to know about all these great resources we make available. Uh, and you know, with my hat as a CIO and sitting on the president's cabinet, I'm very aware of the, the endeavors we've taken to you know, help facilitate student success. And we have these success coaching programs and we've got our advisors and um, tutoring and all kinds of support mechanisms but for the adjuncts, it's hard for them to be aware of those things. You know, they're coming in at night, they're not here a lot. Uh, and it began to occur to me that there was a real opportunity there to take our faculty portal, which we had ported to a mobile-friendly environment, and make it really visible uh, and easy for adjuncts or any teacher, of course, to be able to just click and, and quickly email ad, um, advisors and success coaches and, um, you know, let them know that, hey, this student needs some additional support resources. So, you know, just another opportunity where being with the students, thinking about their experience um, and, and being in the, you know, in that faculty chair and thinking about how to do everything we can to support student success um, overlapped well with, you know, my role as a CIO. Do you have any examples of some of the ways that you made changes once you really started looking at this relationship? Um, yeah, you know, the you know, one, you know, stepping back now and, and, you know, I mentioned how I was blogging. I run this website called emergingedtech.com and um, this, it has this great overlap with what I do with the school. Um, on the site, I look at, you know, all grades, all subjects. It's not just higher ed uh, and think about tools and resources that, um, you know, that can be helpful uh, both for the sake of, you know, my individual use uh, for sharing them with faculty at the school and then for sharing them through the website and through social media with the, the you know, the entire audience of um, people who like to consume content and, and, and like, the, like the site and like what I'm doing. Um, so there have been, you know, it's been a great cycle of this kind of learning and sharing. You know, after being a few years into to blogging and thinking about meaningful uses of instructional technology, um, you know, one thing that's been a win for a long time has been distance learning and how digital has helped in that regard. Um, so that's been a clear win, right? You know, digital, distance learning has been happening for, you know, for a long, long time, going back to, uh, you know, letter correspondence, um, but the digital uh, digitization of, of, of content has made it so much easier. But um, another win is the idea of blended learning. So, uh, you know, leveraging some form of digital content and digital sharing and digital interaction and combining that with the traditional classroom to some extent or another um, is certainly something that has become increasingly common in higher ed. You know, we've almost always got an LMS going and there's an opportunity there to, you know, store content, to store assignments so that teachers um, students that might miss class can be aware of what's going on. But a few years into exploring all of this, um, the, something that really struck me was the flipped classroom concept. So I had 
I was watching a TED talk from uh, Sal Khan, and he talked about this idea of the flipped classroom or reverse instruction, and this was probably back around 2011. And it just made so much sense to me very quickly, and I really sunk my teeth into it um, and began exploring it and ultimately wrote books about it. Well, wrote a, 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 a book I call The Workshop in a Book um, about it and ran training sessions and then later uh, developed a close relationship with the Flip Learning Network. But that was something that um, I used in the classroom. So even simple techniques, uh, there's a great technique called the WISC, which stands for Watch, Summarize, and Question. So if you want to kind of front load students a bit before they come into the class and free up some more time in the classroom to explore an idea, um, you might record a video or leverage some existing content and have the students watch a short video at home. And the idea of the WISC was that they would watch it, they would write a summary about it, and you know, it was up to you as the instructor to give them guidance about you know, how long should that be and what should the nature of it be like. Um, and then they would ask a question, which is a real simple idea, but very powerful. Um, you would suggest to them that they ask a question, either something we might ask if we were gonna quiz them on it, or just something they got curious about watching the uh, material. And that really helped to expose maybe some misunderstandings. It also surfaced some really interesting ideas to explore. So just, you know, one little technique that um, was a real win. Um, and then, you know, we see so many other uh, things that have clearly been wins and many other things that are still emerging. So, you know, accessibility, improvements to accessibility are great for those who have challenges with hearing, vision, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a whole world of fun emerging things, some of which are, you know, maybe not so meaningful and some of which may be and we're still learning. So things like gamification and you know, the whole virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, a lot of really fun things and interesting things happening out there, um, but not necessarily impacting my classroom, although I have had some fun with augmented reality applications in the classroom. Well, tell me about the perception when you talk about the flipped classroom, you know, what's the perception among uh, instructors in higher ed of really changing how they may have been teaching for a very long time in that cultural aspect? You know, we, talk a lot to institutions who, when they try to implement big changes, there's a pretty serious pushback from faculty. Oh, you know, great question. And yeah, that is, that is certainly the case. It's been very interesting now that for, uh, this is probably my sixth or seventh year, really kind of immersed in the flipped classroom to see how it, is, how it has evolved. And it continues to grow. Um, it, in many ways, it's a, it's a grassroots kind of thing, interestingly, where faculty who, who do want to do this and do get interested in it will push for it. Um, there have been some schools, school districts, even university systems that have gone fully flipped, but it's usually not top down. It's usually from the bottom up. Um, and speaking to, you know, your point that um, there, there's certainly a resistance to changing, you know, change is hard. Um, and, and, and when you're in IT, you get used to it, you become a change agent, but it's, it's hard for everyone. Uh, and there certainly is flip, there, there certainly is um, uh, pushback. Uh, and so I don't push too hard um, at my own school at the College of Westchester. In 2014, we ran a kind of a, a small pilot where we looked at partially flipping um, a number of different classes, and we were able to prove a significant decrease in um, uh, what we call, you know, the DFW uh, grade. So, you know, Ds, fails, withdrawals, incompletes. Um, and it was a real win, but it didn't mean that there was a huge change. I mean, we, we tried to, to push, we, we shared our experience, uh, and there was some adoption of the technique. It continues to be, but I think in most schools, it's, it's not uncommon for there to be just one or two people who are doing this. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. Um, you, you can take the approach as I often have of, Hey, here's a good practice. Here's, you know, a, an in-depth look at how it works. Here's how it's, how it's proven out, um, and let people make their own decision. Um, and then of course there are other types of endeavors we undertake where there may be more of a push from the, the, the top end and more support uh, to, to make something happen, to make changes happen. So for example, we've uh, pushed very hard to move away from costly textbooks at the class at the college. And I think now about 40% of our courses have no textbook. They're using either, oh, I shouldn't say that, they have no paid textbooks. So either we're using a, a high quality uh, OER, um, you know, open educational resource, uh, or we, the instructors have created their own content. Um, and that was a case where there was uh, a lot of support all, all across the institution for that. Uh, and faculty got on board, but we had to keep chipping away. So yeah, overcoming, um, that resistance can be a real challenge. Um, and you know, you got to decide when, when it makes the most sense to, to really have a full court press and when it makes the most sense to say, Hey, here's, Here's something to be aware of. Here's resources to support it. And you guys decide how you want to, uh, if and how you want to leverage it. You know, you also mentioned augmented reality and starting to see that coming into the classroom, which I can imagine also feels like a pretty big change for a lot of instructors. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing happening with augmented reality now? Sure. Well, you know, so augmented and virtual are interesting because, you know, when, before people are aware of them and the differences between them, they often get kind of fuzzy. Um, and in fact, there's terms like mixed reality. But um, for the most part, you know, they're pretty distinct. And, and one of the, the, the big differences is that augmented is easy to get started with. So if you're in high school or above, almost everybody's got that smartphone. And there are a lot of great free AR apps um, and some low-cost AR apps. So if you're teaching chemistry, for example, um, there's some great fun apps where, you know, you just you print out a target image, you download the free app, you point it at the image, and you have this great 3D interactive thing that happens that uh, students get a real big kick out of. Um, the first one I ever played with was called 4D Anatomy, uh, and we, we have a big allied health program at the school. So it was fun for medical students to be able to use this free tool that would give them a, an interactive 3D version of the heart, and another one did the human body, and you could tell it, you know, show me just the aorta, show me just, you know, this part of the human body, and it would, you know, layer on and layer off, um, and you could turn it around and see it from a 3D perspective, and just really neat, fun stuff. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's growing pretty explosively. Um, on the VR side, there, it, it's more com complicated. You need a, more of an investment. You need a, a decent headset. You know, there's low-end um, entry points like Google Class, uh, not Google Cloud. What is the name of the, I can't remember off the top, the top of my head, the name of the Google uh, product, but it's like a uh, oh, Google Cardboard. So you, it's literally, you can buy very inexpensively, like 15 bucks, a, a cardboard fold up that you can put your phone in, but the experience is really not good. Um, right. So, you know, you need to spend more money and that's challenging. So I think in some schools where they're starting to experiment more with virtual, they're, you know, maybe in the library, they're buying a couple of good headsets. Uh, my son attended uh, Binghamton University and up there he was working in a, a lab where they had a couple of these VR headsets and people could come in and experience that. Um, you know, VR has got a tremendous potential to, to be a lot of fun to immerse students literally. Um, so if you're exploring geography or you're exploring science, you know, you can kind of do the magic school bus thing and, uh, you know, go inside the human body in a VR experience. 
but it's it's not inexpensive and um, you know so costly to scale up. But it's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Absolutely. Well, when you look at using technology to support a student success, are there any recommendations that you could make to other senior IT leaders in higher ed? Um, sure. You know, uh, first and foremost would be try and get in the classroom, try and teach. Um, you know, obviously, if it's just something that you're not comfortable with, you probably shouldn't. But I think it's very worth having that experience. And then another thing to consider as well is get in the classroom, um, be a student, uh, you know, partake in an online class. Um, so, you know, whatever you can do to get closer to the front lines and understand the student experience and the faculty experience is, is just huge. Uh, and then, you know, listen to your faculty, you know, make sure they're aware that you want to know how you can support them, not just in, in terms of, you know, gadgets in the classroom, but in, in terms of anything that will support student success. Um, you know, I think these kinds of, uh, these tools like a faculty portal, that sort of, um, application that can be readily available and really make it very visible and easy to them. Uh, what kinds of resources are, are available to help them can be a, a, an eye-opener. Um, and then, you know, learn, just, you know, pay attention, follow an EdTech blog um, and learn a little bit about what's going on in that world. So there's, you know, there's a lot of great ways to, to get closer to that. Um, and I think the first thing is just for them to even be aware and think of it as something they should pay attention to. I've seen that change nicely over the years, you know, five, six years ago when I would talk to other CIOs, they wouldn't, in higher ed, they, most of them wouldn't be thinking too much about the instructional aspect and the student experience, but now it's become much more common for them. You know, and part of that is because the presidents and the boards are, are focusing on student success. So they're realizing how important it is, but it always has been and always will be. Well, thanks for all your thoughts today, Kelly. Are there any other observations that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, you know, probably the, the, the biggest one is, you know, the, one of the more interesting things for me as I've gone down this road and where I am today is realizing how much teaching is about people. It's about relationships. It's about teachers that really care and want to know a bit about their students and help them succeed, um, which means that, yeah, you know what, it's not really about the technology. Technology is a tool. It can be really powerful. It's going to continue to, to be an important part of, of education, and I think only more so over time, but we should never forget that it's ultimately about, about relationships and about that human connection. Uh, I'm not a fan of the idea of uh, robotic teaching or displacing teachers. Um, sure, things like, you know, an AI chatbot can be a huge help for getting students to answer questions, and we're going to see fun things happen with that, like with uh, Jill Watson and the IBM uh, project, but um, it's ultimately a, a very human thing and, and should stay so. Uh, even in online, the more we can bring in face-to-face -face interaction into the online classroom, the better the experience will be. So I think that's been one of the more... Um, interesting and maybe unexpected uh, things that, that's come out of all this. Great. Well, it's been very interesting hearing your thoughts today. Thank you for sharing with us and our listeners all the work that you've been doing. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's fun. I really enjoy talking about it and connecting with others and uh, really appreciate being on the podcast. Thanks, Kelly. Right, this brings care. us to the end of our podcast for this month. Thanks for listening.